3: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
4: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with your science fiction writer and futurist, Robert J. Sawyer, has been interviewed by 350 times on radio, 350 times on television, and then those numbers have probably increased in countless times in print. Based out of Toronto, Rob hosted the Canadian TV series Supernatural Investigator for three seasons, Principal commentator for the History Channel's Canada's popular History Erase TV series. He is one of only eight writers in history, the only Canadian to win all three of the world's top science fiction awards for Best Novel of the Year, the Hugo, the Nebula, and the John W. Campbell Memorial Award. He was last with me three years ago, as we talked then about his Oppenheimer alternative. Robert, its timing is great. Welcome back.
3: Hi, George. I'm delighted to be here again. Thanks so much for having me.
4: Were you consulted at all in the upcoming Christopher Nolan's blockbuster that they talk about, Oppenheimer?
3: I was not, but the man who, uh, you know, it's based on a book. Unfortunately, not my book. Or uh-huh. I would be on a yacht right now instead of uh, sitting in a, in a, my friend's living room, which is where I am at the moment. Uh, the book that it's based on is actually called American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer, which is a nonfiction book. My book is a novel about Oppenheimer. Uh, and uh, the men who wrote that book, Martin J. Sherwin and Kai Bird, Kai, K-A-I, an unusual first name, Kai Bird. And uh, uh, sadly, Marty Sherwin uh, just recently passed away, unfortunately, mm. just before he got to see the movie. That was based on uh, his book. But before he did, he did read my book and gave me a very nice cover blurb. Uh, so I, I'm one step away, let's say, from uh, Nolan's source material. And, of course, uh, Nolan's movie and my my novel are all based in the historical record. So the facts are facts, as the saying goes.
4: Why are they saying that this is going to be the summer blockbuster? You know, that's a
3: really good question. I'm not sure, honestly, that it's going to be that. It opens the same weekend as the Barbie movie, Uh Margot Robbie. Now, when you think about what do you want to do on a summer night, right? Do you want to relax with a frothy, light, fun film uh, like the Barbie movie? Or do you want to be reminded that uh, Vladimir Putin and maybe Kim Jong-un are, even as we speak, stroking the buttons that can launch their nukes? So I'm not sure the timing is right. Now, a movie like Oppenheimer takes years to make. Yeah. So when Christopher Nolan decided that this would be his big blockbuster film for the summer of 2003, it was before the invasion of Ukraine by uh, by Russia. Uh, and it was a world that was post the Cold War. It was a world where we thought, you know, as I had said to my young niece a little while ago, We thought this was all in the past. We grew up a duck and cover, and all of that you know, fear of nuclear holocaust in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, we thought all that was past. So I don't know if people are going to flock to this film the way Christopher Nolan and the star Killian Murphy are hoping that they will. I'll certainly be there to check it out because of my interest in the topic. But whether it's going to draw people who want to be first and foremost entertained by a summer blockbuster. I really don't know.
4: Some of the snippets I've seen about the movie, Robert, from critics who have probably previewed it, say that it is truly horrendous in terms of what has happened. I mean, they say it's a great movie, but they're scared to death with it.
3: That's right. There's no question that Christopher Nolan is a brilliant director. Julian Murphy, best known, you know, for Peaky Blinders, the British crime series, uh, is a brilliant actor. But... Every advance review, and there are lots of people who have seen it now, it has been screened for sure, to select audiences, have said people come out devastated, shocked. Uh, You know, you're going to see, and remember this film is being released in 70 millimeter IMAX, the largest format uh, available for commercial motion pictures. An atomic explosion, the hellfire that happened at the Trinity uh, test at Los Alamos, and then of course at Hiroshima, and Nagasaki, Japan, yes, where exactly. tens of thousands of people died. So, yeah, you can understand very well that people come out emotionally wrought from having seen this spectacle that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, Christopher Nolan has decided to give to us in higher resolution than even the people who saw it in the flesh 78 years ago uh, experienced.
4: And uh, didn't Oppenheimer have mixed feelings after the fact?
3: change of heart, you can date to a very specific 72-hour period. He went along with them dropping the bomb on Hiroshima, which was August 6, 1945, the first use of the atomic bomb in war. What shocked him was that the second use came only 72 hours later. On October 9th, when Nagasaki was bombed. Remember, the bomb took out the railway lines. It took out the highways. It took out the telegraph and telephone lines between Hiroshima and the Japanese high command in Tokyo. So word was just reaching by people straggling in by foot or trying to get there on broken roadways, just reaching the high command that some previously unknown Monstrous bomb had been used, and then they used it a second time. And for Oppenheimer, that was when it went too far. This word did not exist in the English language, but it was coined at that point, and Oppenheimer was one of the first to use it. Overkill. It was more killing than was necessary, in his view. And that changed him from a hawk to a dove overnight.
4: Do we know, Robert, if there were plans to use it a third time?
3: There was no third bomb uh, yet. They were desperately trying to get a third one built. The United States used its entire arsenal, and they were two very different bomb designs. There was one called the uranium gun design, or the uh, little boy, and one called the uh, implosion lens design, or the fat man. And the United States government wanted to test them both. After the uh, test at uh, Los Alamos, where they tested the, uh, the Fat Man design for the first time, uh, Oppie said, the war is over. And General Groves said, and this comes from Groves' own autobiography. This isn't revisionist history. This is what he said when they first tested it in New Mexico. Yes, the war is over just as soon as we drop two bombs on Japan. He was hell-bent. And they use that phrase advisedly. General Groves, the leader of the Manhattan Project, was hell-bent on testing both different competing designs on civilian targets to see which one was more effective. And uh, there was no third bomb. So if the uh, Japanese had dug in their heels even longer, uh, you know, the threat was they didn't know we were out of bombs at that point. But we were. We hadn't had the ability to build a third one yet.
4: Your cover that has an artistic sketch of a rocket ship and Oppenheimer—he looks kind of scary. How close did he look to that picture?
3: That uh, the artist who did the cover for the American edition of my novel, The Oppenheimer Alternative, was working from a photo of Oppenheimer, so that's what he really looked like. Wow! And you can see, you know, in uh, that uh, Killian Murphy, who's been cast in the role of the movie. A uh, great actor, but the principal reason he was cast, obviously, is a profound physical resemblance to Oppenheimer himself. Oppenheimer, uh, and you can see it on the cover of my book, because it's in full color. Most of the photos we have of Oppie, of course, from the 1940s, were black and white. He had piercing blue eyes. He sure does. Uh, although he looked scary, of course, on the cover of my book, uh, and was certainly contemplating the destruction of uh you know, whole populations. He was also famously charismatic, funny, a ladies' man. Women swooned in his presence, literally swooned. Uh, his his students, he was a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, before he uh, was uh, co-opted uh, to be the scientific director of the Manhattan Project. They all imitated his mannerisms and his uh, style of dress because they thought this was
0: just the coolest
3: cat around.
4: was he at odds with the other physicist edward teller
3: very much so for a couple of reasons fundamentally one is they were just polar opposites in personality oppy was uh, outgoing and and basically a friendly and pretty happy man teller was a bitter bitter man as teller himself said you know he had uh, t- uh, fled twice from persecution first when he had to Uh, you know, uh, flee his native Hungary as a young man, Uh, and then when he had to flee from the Nazis when, of course, uh, uh, the start of World War II. Um, And uh, the second reason, though, was Oppenheimer wanted to build what we know today as the A-bomb, the atomic bomb, the nuclear fission bomb. And Teller said, he said this quite literally, That's not worthy of our intellects. Your grad students, who said Bob could build that device. What we need is the H-bomb, the hydrogen bomb, the thermonuclear bomb, the nuclear fusion bomb, which is hundreds of times more powerful. And they were at a complete odds over that. Oppenheimer, in fact, of course, spearheaded the successful effort to make the A-bomb. Teller, although he was at Los Alamos, Shat that effort out. He refused to work on this project he felt was beneath his dignity and spent all of his time during World War II working on what Oppenheimer thought was a pie-in-the-sky unnecessary invention, the thermonuclear hydrogen bomb, which, of course, is the one that will be used today if we do have a nuclear
4: war. Yeah, they did. They came out with it. Everybody has one now. Everybody has the
3: one because of espionage. The atomic bomb with Klaus Fuchs and uh, some other spies sold the atomic bomb secrets from Los Alamos and gave them to the Russians. It turned out that, you know, in the aftermath, the debriefing after World War II, that the Japanese were nowhere near having an atomic bomb, the Germans were nowhere near atom- having an atomic bomb, the Russians weren't. If that brain trust that was assembled on the mesa of Los Alamos Uh, New Mexico, had never been brought together, we probably never would have gotten the atomic bomb. But once one country has, as you know this well, George, any military secret, every country has it within a few years because espionage is way cheaper than research and development.
4: In retrospect, Robert, should we have nuked everybody that was our enemy?
3: So the original goal was to build a bomb to nuke hitler to drop on berlin and many of the scientists who are working on the manhattan project of course were jewish emigres from europe right who were you know uh,
4: offenheimer was jewish wasn't he
3: he was he was not an emigre he was born in new york city his parents uh were wealthy and had kind of missed out on all of that persecution uh but uh the families of many of the others uh, were, knew that their, their families were being, you know, the, the pogroms. And although we didn't find out uh, the extent of the Holocaust until after the liberation of Auschwitz and elsewhere, they knew that things were very, very bad for uh, European Jewry because of Adolf Hitler. So the idea was originally to build a bomb and use it against Berlin. And the Manhattan Project actually failed in its goal. Because Adolf Hitler did with a single bullet in April of 1945 what all of the uh, $2 billion in 1945 dollars of research that went to the Manhattan Project had failed to do, which is take out Adolf Hitler. He killed himself because conventional, mostly Russian troops were pressing in on Berlin, knew right. he was a goner at that point.
4: Unless he snuck so, off to uh, South America. Well, that, of course, you
3: know, we still have those... Uh, Conspiracy. Now, at this point, he almost certainly would be dead regardless, given just the age of the man, right. right that it was 78 years ago uh, that he killed himself, 78 years ago this past April. But, yeah, there certainly always uh, has, was that specter of possibility. And, of course, his death and the death of uh, some of the others who disappeared predates uh, the other big uh, scientific breakthrough of the 20th century. One, of course, was the atomic bomb. The other was the breakthrough of the decoding of the human genome, the discovery uh, by Crick and Watson of DNA. We had no way except a visual identification to say that was Adolf Hitler. And we all know this past week, uh, you know, when um, Vladimir Putin has supposedly been appearing here and there and everywhere uh, to kind of reassert his dominance in the Soviet Union after the uh, uh, essentially, the uh, coup attempt the, from the Wagner the, forces. Yeah, the failed uh, coup. Uh, but, but is it Putin? We well know that the Soviets and uh, now the Russians have often used lookalikes uh, for public appearances because if somebody succeeds in assassinating the lookalike, well, you know, it's bad luck for the lookalike, but the uh, actual leader is uh, safe.
4: That's a good point. Now, the title of your book is called "The Oppenheimer Alternative." What does that mean?
3: So, there's a it's a, a science fiction novel. and There's a branch of science fiction called alternate history, which takes uh, you know the basic facts as we know them and got, comes up with an alternative. And in my case, the alternative is instead of Oppenheimer and all of these scientists, including as you mentioned. Um, uh, uh, edward teller but also enrico ferme and hans Bethe and leo zillard uh all of the scientists work in the manhattan project instead of them dissipating back into mostly academia in the fall of 1945 after the bombings of japan and the end of world war ii they stayed together to try and save the earth from uh, a pending uh, solar disaster disaster involving our sun so it's goes to the point of the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, following uh, history as we know it, and then goes off in a different, more science-fictional direction in my novel, The Oppenheimer Alternative.
4: Robert, how did you get involved in science-fiction writing?
3: I'm of that generation. I said, you know, some people were alive in 1950s. I wasn't. I was born in 1960. Uh, in 1960. So I'm of that generation that had two... Uh, things that brought me into science fiction. The twin prongs of the original Star Trek, which premiered when I was six years old, and I saw it in first run, and, of course, the landing of people on the moon. The Apollo effort was the backdrop of my life. And the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey that came out in 1968 when I was eight years old. Well, they were saying in that movie, by the time I was 41, an age that's long gone now, 2001, that we would have orbiting space stations with uh, hotels aboard them and cities on the moon and interplanetary travel and something I imagine we'll talk about later in the program, George, artificial intelligence. we didn't get it all by 2001, but the promise that we would have all those things made me want to devote uh, my career to speculating about what we were going to get and when we might get it. And those things, Star Trek, the Apollo program, and 2001 A Space Odyssey were my entrees into thinking about the future.
2: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m.
3: Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.